podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. We are three days away from April 1st, which is opening day of the 2021 Major League Baseball regular season. I will spend all 30 days in March previewing every Major League Baseball team in alphabetical order. So today is March 29th, and I continue on with the Philadelphia Phillies. So as you can tell, I won't be finishing all of these season previews before opening day. I took weekends off throughout the month of March. So I'll be going about a week past opening day, which is kind of cool because I'll have the perspective of what the opening day roster actually looks like for the remaining teams. It'll be around after the, the Pittsburgh Pirates. But Let's get into the Phillies because they are an interesting team to watch in what I believe will be the most compelling division race in the NL East. I I'm, I think I am higher on the Phillies than most, and I still believe that their ceiling is finishing third in the NL East. That is how good and how competitive this division race will be. I think if their players overperform, the Phillies still cannot be as good as the Braves or the Mets. So let's get into it. As usual, I'll go through team history, position breakdown, offseason breakdown, uh, starting pitching, relief pitching, before I finish on the Picota standings and my philosophy on this team. So you might not believe it, but the Phillies have not made it into the postseason since 2011. And in that same year, 2011, That was the last season in which they had a winning record. It is unbelievable how unsuccessful this Phillies team has been in the past decade, really, despite all of the talented players they have on this roster, plus the financial flexibility that so many small market teams would kill for that the Phillies just can't get over the hump with. So... I'll bring you through just a few years of this misery. In 2020, they finished 28-32, and 32, third in the NL East. 2019, they finished even at 81-81, fourth in the NL East in 2018. Just below that, 80 wins and 82 losses. And in 2017, they finished 66-96, and 96, last in the NL East. That was one of the low points for this team. Again, 2011... That is the postseason they are chasing when this team was so talented, so well-balanced, both offensively and defensively. And on paper, the most frustrating frustrating part about this team and its roster construction and its executives from the top level down, on paper, the Phillies look so good every single offseason. And then it's a combination of injuries and underperforming and historically bad bullpen and otherwise pitching performances that just tank this club. So they have new management now. They have a new manager in Joe Girardi who came aboard two seasons ago that is really trying to change the ship of this team. Former manager Gabe Kapler, he just wasn't in the mission anymore. And before I talk about anything, I really feel like I have to focus on the Phillies' most important addition off the field this season, and that is hiring new president of baseball ops, Dave Dombrowski. So everybody knows him for making the Marlins a championship team, making the Tigers a championship team, even though they weren't actually able to get that title. Dombrowski still constructed one of the most dominant teams of all time. Then he won another chip with Boston in 2018. And now 
he is hired by the Phillies in a fascinating move because the entire offseason, it wasn't even certain if the Phillies were able, were going to be able to sign back JT Real Muto. Dave Gombrowski, his M.O. in his career in baseball has been to go in to a team, sign some of the most ludicrous, most successful trades of all time, build it up, win a championship at at any cost necessary, and then leave. And leave the organization in complete shambles with no farm system and aging players. That's pretty much what happened with the Tigers, and that is exactly what happened with the boss with Boston and their currently very depleted farm system. So it was interesting that the Phillies weren't necessarily championship ready, and they still hired Dame Dombrowski. They don't have a great farm system to work with. They probably won't be buyers at the trade deadline, and that has that's when Dave Dombrowski has been most lethal getting one more piece to push his team over the edge in the postseason. So it was fascinating to see Dombrowski come in. He hasn't had to work on a multi-year scale in a few seasons, but that's what it'll be now. He was able to re-sign Real Muto. They've got some better bullpen pieces on paper. They have some more starting pitching depth. They have more bench versatility than they have in the past few seasons. The Phillies aren't winning the championship this year or even next But maybe Dave Dombrowski is able to go in there. He's able to execute some perfect trades, as as usual. And it'll be interesting to see if this will be a five-year plan versus Dave Dombrowski's usual two- to three-year plan with some of those juggernauts like Boston in 2018. So now let's wrap up the rest of the offseason. One thing to note, and this is something that will be important as I get closer to opening day, some of these roster cuts are finally being done, not just talked about. So the Phillies did sign Tony Watson to a minor league deal, but he was released just in the past few days. So he's no longer on this roster. I'm sure he'll get picked up. He is a multi-year vet in the league. Uh, He could be a big asset to another team. The Phillies are just prioritizing bullpen help that they need right now. They are not going to allocate money to players that they do not feel will improve their team. And they didn't feel like Tony Watson fit that mold. So other bullpen pieces they made, they did bring on Archie Bradley. They brought on Jose Alvarado from the Rays, who is a very interesting case that I'm excited to talk about. Brandon Kinsler and other starting pitching. Matt Moore. Chase Anderson, and then some bench pieces in Brad Miller and Matt Joyce. So again, not any of the sexy names that were on the free agent market, but quietly the Phillies are just adding more depth to an otherwise historically bad bullpen. They did part ways with Jake Arrieta, Jay Bruce, Brandon Workman, and Nick Pavetta. So now let's get into the position battles. I believe that Seven of the eight positions will be pretty much locked by opening day, barring injury. And talking about injuries, I'll start with catcher. It's JT Real Muto. I think this is a lock anyways, but he did break his thumb about a month ago at this point. All the reports are indicating now that he will be fine to start opening day. He's obviously incredibly tough. He's been able to do everything but hit and throw, which sounds like a big deal, but he's been able to stay in shape. And somebody as talented as him and as tough as him is seemingly going to be ready. He's obviously known as one of the best catchers. He is the best catcher in all of baseball right now, and he's probably a top 20 hitter. So be able to be able to pair that power with that defensive prowess, one of the best positional players 
in the game, I mean, R- Jato Rumoto had a down offensive year by his standards, and his stash- slash line was 266, 349, 491. He actually should have slugged higher than 500, but he played hurt in the last week of the season. So they re-signed J.T. Riomoto. I think that was a absolutely necessary thing for the Phillies to do because he is a huge part of their future. Now over at first base, another guy who was a huge part of the future, Reese Hoskins. In 2020, in a year where so much positive, so many positive news were overshadowed by how badly the bullpen performed, Reese Hoskins had a very good season, and he needed that because since he came up as a rookie and beat the home run record, basically, in as few at-bats as possible, he's needed a resurgence at the bat, and he did that. In 2020, he just he fell one at-bat short of qualifying for a batting title. If he had qualified, he would have been just the second qualified Phillies hitter since 2010 with a 380 on base percentage and a 500 slugging percentage. Coincidentally, that other Phillies player is Bryce Harper, who's also new to the Philly pinstripes. But Reese Hoskins, he's known for his eye. He's known for his defensive prowess at first base. And since he came on a few years ago, he struggled offensively. If he returns to that cleanup menace that the Phillies know he can be, the Phillies get significantly better. So I think there's reason to be excited about Reese Hoskins' continued development. Second base, Gene Segura. He was an all-star back in 2018. He's definitely lost a step since then. But they're thinking re-signing Didi Gregorius, the incredibly talented Alec Bohm at third base. Gene Segura can, can really adjust and be steady at second base. And he's hitting lower in the lineup this year. They're hoping for just average numbers from him and good defensive play, and that'll be exactly what the Phillies need. Now, talking about Alec Bohm at third base, he finished second in NL Rookie of the Year voting last year. He had a very, very solid year. He also ranked 10th in opposite field slugging percentage, which is a number that really struck me because of how heralded power is these days. And when I talk about Roman Quinn, I'm going to talk about it even more. But you're looking at how many home runs a hitter's batting, a, a hitter is hitting, how hard their exit velocity is, what their launch angle is. That's all important. But for Alec Bohm, in his first not even full 162 game career, to be ranking 10th amongst all qualified hitters in a opposite field slugging percentage, that's a big deal. That is something that the Phillies can exploit because they know that one of the best young players in their system at the major league level has such good power to all fields. That's really important. And shortstop Didi Gregorius, again, his, like I said, the the power numbers are obviously important. So when you see that Didi Gregorius's average exit velocity has dropped by over four miles per hour, that's something to be concerned about because it was the sixth largest drop among qualified hitters. But you have Didi there for the experience. He's very good at shortstop. I think he was definitely a signing that the Phillies needed to make, especially because they don't have the finances at this point to go after one of the big five that'll come onto the market next season. And Baez, Seager, Story, Correa, Lindor, potentially, but very, very unlikely. So I think Didi Gregorius is a good 
short-term option for them until the Phillies really figure out their direction. Now let's go to the outfield. I'll start in left with Andrew McCutcheon. When he's healthy, I think we can see glimpses of who Kutch used to be when he had four straight top five MVP finishes from 2012 to 2015. He was arguably one of the best players in the game at that time, and he's over 35 now. So you expect that decline. The thing is, you expect the decline from McCutcheon. He had a career-low OPS+. plus of 103 in 2020. So for Andrew Kutch's decline to still be 3% better than league average, that is pretty damn good. And it shows how amazing Kutch's career has been. Again, the most important thing for him will be to stay healthy and to get as many at-bats and appearances in the field as possible. The DH, not having a DH this year doesn't hurt the Phillies as much as it might hurt some other teams because... Somebody like McCutcheon might have been the prime candidate to be a D- to be a DH, and I don't know how much McCutcheon's bat is going to elevate this lineup, especially if he leads off. So it's an interesting thing to think about there. But definitely, without the DH, he will start in left. Center field. This is the one position that I don't believe is locked down, and I still believe it is up for grabs. It became a bit more clear when Scott Kingery was optioned to the minor league site. I will be honest that I was surprised when that happened because I truly think, and people have talked about it on Twitter now too, everybody wanted Kingery to get this job. He just performed so badly in spring and he hasn't been able to put anything together at the major league level to earn himself this spot. And that's exactly what happened and that's why he's optioned. And now it's between Adam Hazley, Abdubal Herrera, and Roman Quinn. And right now I am putting Roman Quinn in the starting center field position on opening day for the Phillies. And the reason I do that is because Roman Quinn is trying to bring back the baseball of old. And the baseball of old is laying down a bunt when necessary and stealing a base to try and put your team ahead. It's playing the small game, right? It's playing scrappy. Roman Quinn is the epitome of a scrappy player, and he's been learning for Kenny Lofton, who was one of the greats in the scrappy game of baseball. And I mean that as a complete compliment. Roman Quinn, he he had a 261 on base percentage last year. And that was in a limited sample size. So can't put too much stock in it. But you also know that that's a concerning number, especially for a speed guy where maybe on base percentage can be one of his few strengths. While that number is low, he offers value in other parts of his game. He finished tied for fourth in the league last year with 12 stolen bases. He's the fastest player in the majors from home to first base. Another thing that I think is working in his favor is that he's out of minor league options. So he either makes this 26-man roster or he's designated for assignment. I think he's too valuable for that. Or he's traded. And I don't think the Phillies want to part ways with Roman Quinn right now. A, because he has a lot of talent that a lot of players don't have in terms of the speed. And also, they have a gaping hole in center field, and they might need Quinn. If not now, then definitely in the future with injuries that you just have to account for. So I think Roman Quinn deserves the spot in center field in in part because of the game that not a lot of other players can replicate. And it's because he can get on base and steal that bag, and everybody knows it but he'll do it anyway, just like Dave Roberts did in 2004 in the Red Sox. 
He can sprint around those bases. As long as he gets on, he's a threat. And he's also very good defensively in center field, mostly because of that speed. The other reason, Scott Kingery couldn't do it. Adam Hazley's hurt. And while Abdubal Herrera, um, he is a bench option. He was suspended in 2019 because he violated the domestic abuse policy. He performed really, really well in spring training, but he's actually cooled of late. And I think Joe Girardi and company will want to go with Roman Quinn in center field, at least for the near future. But I do think that Hazley and Herrera will make the roster. And now, of course, we go to the team MVP, Bryce Harper. I'll start way back at the beginning when he made the cover of Sports Illustrated and was the first overall pick. Bryce Harper was going to be the next LeBron James. He was going to be the next Tiger Woods. He was that transcendent of a talent. In the first few years of his career, he was. He was the rookie of the year. He was a 20 he was the 2015 MVP. He was a six-time All-Star. He is a six-time All-Star, not in past tense. He also his career wins above replacement number is 33.7. That's better than more than 100 Hall of Famers at his age. And I have some offer awesome 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 numbers from Matt Gelb, the Phillies staff writer at the Athletic that I just want to run off. Through his age 27 season, Bryce Harper has more home runs than Willie Mays had at the same age. He has more hits than Pete Rose. He's hit more doubles than Barry Bonds. He's driven in more RBIs than Babe Ruth. He's scored more runs than Derek Jeter, and he's drawn more walks than Ricky Henderson. If you take all that and lump it together, on paper, and not even on paper, on the field, that is one of the greatest baseball players to ever live. But for some reason, Bryce Harper hasn't been able to do that consistently. On a holistic level, yes, he has every single tool and more to be the best player in the game. But after some of his unreal seasons in Washington, he had a total drop-off. And then he played really, really well the next couple seasons, and then he dropped off again. And then he earned 13 years and $330 million in free agency to come to Philadelphia for life, which fans were very excited about. But it's not the average annual value for somebody as historic as Bryce Harper. And as good as he's been, he hasn't been exactly what fans have hoped he'd be. So it's very interesting. I still think... While we might have seen peak Bryce Harper when he was just absolutely unbelievable in 2015, and he had another MVP season, and if he hadn't gotten hurt, I think that would have been his year as well. I think it was either 2017 or 2018. In 2020, his hard hit percentage was actually higher than it was in 2015. So he continues to just plow down records that he himself set years ago. But I truly think Bryce Harper isn't going to reach the ceiling of his expectations until definitely until he can bring his team to the playoffs and and really I think until he wins the championship and now he has 11 more years in Philadelphia to to try and do that but I think the Phillies need to build around him so that they can make Bryce Harper as equipped as possible in his prime to get the most out of Harper that they can. Bench, I mentioned all these guys. Kingery's now uh, in the AAA system. Hazley, he wasn't very good in 2020 anyway. He didn't hit a home run. I believe he will start the season on the injured list. Herrera coming off of that suspension. And then Matt Joyce, the guy I did want to mention, a new face in Philadelphia this year. In the last three seasons, 
He's had 569 at-bats against righties and 63 at-bats against lefties. So you'll definitely see him in a platoon role, if if at all. And I don't mean if at all, because you definitely will see some Joyce. He actually slides in well into Jay Bruce's role last season, that the Phillies had Bruce in. Some nice pinch-hitting at-bats. And he performed well in Atlanta back in 2019. And then Andrew Knapp, I got this quote from Matt Gelb on The Athletic at Well, Andrew Knapp prides himself on being the backup catcher to the best catcher in baseball. And I think that's a very valid role, and Andrew Knapp slides into that role exceptionally well. He's a good hitter. He can get, he he forms a very good relationships with his pitching staff, and I think he's a valuable bench piece that the Phillies definitely need. So now let's go on to the starting pitching. And the starting pitching, I was blown away by this stat because I would have said, if I hadn't done any research before this, that the, the starting pitching had a, a decent enough season. It was really the bullpen that got all the highlights in the worst possible way. And that was true. But I am I didn't give the starting pitching staff enough credit. Because in 2020, the Phillies were one of just five baseball teams with three pitchers who made at least 10 starts and posted an ERA plus of at least 113. So that's 13% better than league average. They had three pitchers to do that. Their top three aren't aren't the flashy names of Steven Strasburg, Max Scherzer, and Patrick Corbin. Or even Jacob deGrom, when healthy, Noah Syndergaard, and Carlos Carrasco. But Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, and Zach Eflin in Philly are doing very, very well for themselves. And it has become a top three that most teams envy. So I'll start with Aaron Nola, their bona fide ace. Over the last two seasons, he's posted a 3.72 ERA, a 1.217 whip, and a 10.7 strikeout per nine rate. I actually think that ERA is misleading because at times his defense has left him, to put it bluntly. I, I think the Phillies also struggled very much defensively last season, which they didn't need to compound their bullpen issues. So I think that ERA is a bit lower when you take in how good Nola's stuff really is. And then right behind him, when Zach Wheeler was signed to the Phillies for all that money a couple of seasons ago, I was not in on it. I thought it was a bad move. I thought it would blow up in the Phillies' face and it would be another example of them putting money towards the wrong person. I could not have been more wrong. And I am not afraid to admit that. It's funny because in 2020, Zach Wheeler struck out a career-low 18% of batters, but he's also getting more weak content than he's ever had. He's become more focused on getting outs, and in his case, getting ground outs, than padding his stats and getting as many strikeouts as possible. He had the second-best exit velocity allowed. That is exceptional, only behind Kenta Maeda, who was a Cy Young candidate. So if Zach Wheeler continues to hone his stuff, you could argue that it is pretty much just as good as Aaron Nola's. And then a guy who's not too much below them, Zach Eflin. He has an incredible story just because of how much he has not fit into this Philly system is the best way I can put it. He didn't trust them. The Phillies didn't trust him. And it showed and, and it showed in the first couple seasons because his numbers weren't there. And then Something just clicked, both for the Philly staff and for Eflin himself. And in 2020, he had the second highest strikeout jump in baseball. His, he, his 
strikeout rate jumped 10.3% in 2020, behind only some guy that you might have heard of, the AL Cy Young winner, Shane Bieber. So, Zach Elfin has literally in one year vaulted himself into elite category, and if he can put, if he can keep that up, the Phillies might, at the end of the season, have a top five, if not top three, top one, two, three pitchers in their rotation. And they also made it a priority to strengthen their, the, the lower options in that in that rotation is in their four and five guys. So their four guy, another new new face, and it's Matt Moore. And he is definitely a new face because he didn't even pitch in the majors last season. He was over in Japan where it was actually very valuable in this COVID season, in COVID 2020, for Matt Moore to be pitching in Japan because he threw 85 innings. That is more... That is more innings than any pitcher in Major League Baseball through the season. So while he was terrible in Major League Baseball in 2017 and 2018, Matt Moore and the and the Phillies really bought in to what Matt Moore accomplished in Japan this past year. Another reason why he's so valuable is because Matt Moore is a left-handed pitcher. And the Phillies historically always have very few left-handed pitchers. In fact, no lefty started for the Phillies in 2020. So having that flexibility now automatically elevates this Phillies staff and gives them just a little bit more flexibility and versatility in the fourth or fifth day. And then that fifth day, it'll go to Chase Anderson. The the Phillies signed him this offseason from Toronto. In Toronto, he struggled towards the end of the year. He had lost his rotation spot by September, but he had a career 106 ERA plus before 2020. So the Phillies need him to find that form, not the form in 2020. I'm giving an honorary mention here. I don't think the Phillies will ever use a six-man rotation, but when Spencer Howard is ready, he is going to beat out either Matt Moore or Chase Anderson for that fifth spot. I'm that high on Spencer Howard. We saw him last year in the majors. The Phillies see him as a long-term starter, but he'll start in the minors this year. He's already been optioned because they don't want to burn his innings. They they even plan to use him in the bullpen when he does come up, at least in the beginning. And it's the same thing that I've mentioned in almost every single episode in every single day of March. Pitchers did not throw as many innings as usual last season, so organizations have to be extremely careful with how much of a workload they put on their pitchers so that they don't burn them out. And, and that is emphasized to an either, even higher degree with young pitchers like Spencer Howard. Now let's go to the relief pen, <laughs> because... Quite literally, it's easy to say it as an exaggeration, but no. The Phillies had one of the worst bullpens in the history of baseball last year. They brought on Heath Hembry and Brandon Workman to try and add some stability, and Brandon Workman just absolutely imploded and had his worst stretch of his career as a relief, as a closer in baseball, even though he was so good in Boston for a couple of years. So they don't have Workman anymore. They don't have a lot of faces, but they are, they did pad that bullpen with some nice bench guys. So I'll go through them. I'll start with Archie Bradley, who I could see at least at the beginning of the season holding this closer role. His fastball velocity continues to decline, which again, it's kind of like exit velocity. You see it and you know that it's a concern, but talented players know how to work around that. So even though Archie Bradley has lost a few miles per hour, 
In 2020, he also had a higher whiff rate and he had a the lowest average exit velocity of his career to opposing hitters. So no matter what, Archie Badley is finding ways to be effective on the mound. And I think, I think that the that Archie Badley will have the most saves in the Phillies bullpen this year. A guy that could run, make a run for that money, Jose Alvarado. And this is the Philly that I am most excited to talk about because Jose Alvarado will run through his history a bit. In 2018 with the Rays, he had a 2-3-9 ERA in 64 innings pitched. He was the bullpen workhorse in this Rays organization that prides itself on year after year having one of the best bullpens in baseball, and Alvarado was a huge piece of that. Then, in 2019, he dealt with injuries, and in 2020, he gained a ton of weight, and to put it frankly, he just kind of stunk in 2020, and he completely owns that now. It's because he just didn't show up ready. The lack of a routine, the season amidst a pandemic, he was living with his mother who was just cooking a ton of food that he was eating, really unhealthy food. He didn't show up to camp ready, he wasn't focused, and the Rays didn't even want to exercise his $1 million option. So he became a free agent, and the Phillies saw that his weight and bringing him back into good shape and good focus was something they would bet on to find the 2018 version of Alvarado. And it has paid off already, and we haven't even made it to opening day. In spring training, he has hit over 100 miles per hour four times. In 2020, his the hardest he threw was 98.9 miles per hour. The, the Phillies haven't had a pitcher throw over 100 miles per hour in years. So to automatically insert Jose Alvarado into that role, velocity wins games, right? And that's not entirely true because we've seen success from Kyle Hendricks and Alec Mills through a no-no last year but it's still one of those things that automatically gives you the edge. And if Jose Alvarado maintains his form and continues to pitch well, he is a huge asset for the Phillies. Other guys that I'll mention, the guy who sit, who closed for a lot of 2020 for the Phillies, Hector Norris, Hector Neris, excuse me. In 2020, he did have some misleading numbers. He had a 4.57 ERA, but his FIP was 2.5. So that is why ERA can't be the end-all, be-all number, right? FIP takes into account a lot of external circumstances, and Neris's stuff is much better than his ERA makes it seem. You also have Vince Velasquez, who has started for the Phillies before, but I think with the depth that the rotation now has, Velasquez could potentially thrive in a bullpen role. You also have Brandon Kinsler, who beat out Tony Watson for that roster spot. He has a 3 2-6 ERA in 268 innings. That's his career. And that's what the Phillies are betting on. Because in 2020, his strikeout weight rate went way down and his walk rate went way up. So they're hoping Kinsler will be able to find his old form. And the same thing with Jojo Romero, who is a huge energy guy. He chugs monsters before he makes before he runs out to the mound when he gets called up. It's insane to watch. They're hoping that they can just be steady in the bullpen. If the fully Phillies bullpen is average. This team can be a contender. It is literally that black and white. If the Phillies bullpen is average, this team will be okay because their starting rotation is good and their offense is good. Their bullpen was just so bad last year that it brought everybody else down with them. 
And before I go to my team philosophy, I'll just finish up with the prospects. The Phillies have two in, on MLB's top 100 list. The first I mentioned, Spencer Howard, the best prospect in their system. Right-handed pitcher, he clocks in at number 42 on MLB's top 100 list. And then Mick Abel, he's also a right-handed pitcher. He clocks in at number 76. I do want to give honorable mention to Mickey Moniak. He's not listed on the top 100. He is a former number one overall pick, though. And he has had a tough run of things lately. He's now 23 years old. He's only had 18 plate appearances in the majors. Kind of like Bryce Harper, he dealt with extreme expectations, and he hasn't even come close to meeting them, let alone exceeding them. So it's been a tough run for Moniak. He obviously has potential, and he was even used as a trade chip at times for the Phillies this offseason. What's popping into my head is there was a... And an option out there that Andrew Benintendi would have gone to the Phillies and Mickey Moniak was the big trade chip for the Red Sox in that case. But that didn't happen. Joe Girardi especially is a big advocate of Moniak and trying to tell people to lay off him because he's still so young. And 23 seems almost old now for prospects because we see guys like Christian Pache and Ian Anderson and Bo Bichette and even Bobby Witt Jr. and Fernando Tatis, especially Ronald Acuna Jr. I could keep naming them, come into fruition at such a young age and excel the way they do. But it doesn't have to be like that for everybody. So I am willing to give Mickey Moniak more time. He did play well this spring. It's been a combination of really a lack of confidence. He struggles defensively. He struggled at the plate. I, he, he put on some weight this spring, which was good for him. He filled himself out a bit. And I think if he does well in the minors, we will definitely see more of Mickey Moniak this upcoming season. And I can see him being a nice successor to Andrew McCutcheon in the outfield or providing some more depth at the middle infield positions. So now let's go to the Pakota standings. And Pakota has the Phillies at 83 and a half wins. And my gut is to go under. It would only be slightly under, but my gut says that. But I'm going to go against my gut here and put the Phillies at 85 wins. Pakota has them at third in the, a in the NL East. They have them above the Braves, which I talked about before, is absolutely ridiculous and disrespectful to the Braves. The Braves will win this division. But I think it'll be a the best, potentially the best battle in this NL East race will be for the third and fourth spot. Because like I said at the beginning, if the Phillies do very well, I think they can finish in third behind the Braves and the Mets. If they falter, I think the Nationals could finish third and the Phillies will finish fourth. That being said, I've talked about how dangerous their 1-2-3 combo of Nola, Wheeler, and Eflin can be. I think those guys continue to get better. I think Bryce Harper continues to be an MVP caliber player. Reese Hoskins gets better. J.T.O. Realmuto continues his perennial excellence. Some of these young guys need to step up. And by those young guys, I mean, not even technically young guys, but these, these versatile guys like Quinn and Kingery and Hazley. What version of them are we going to see in 2020? Because that could make or break the Phillies. If they can get better as a team defensively and shore up a few positions, this team could be better. And of course, all eyes will be on the bullpen. On paper, it looks like they are better, but pretty much every season since 2011, the Phillies have looked pretty good on paper. 
and they haven't made the postseason since then. So it has been a long uphill climb for one of the biggest markets and one of the biggest payrolls in the sport. My lasting note here is that you don't bring on Dave Dombrowski for mediocrity. So the Phillies will push to contend in every single season and they just need to continue to build rosters of talented players so that they don't waste any more of Bryce Harper's prime. So that'll wrap up my Philadelphia Phillies preview. Make sure to tune in tomorrow for a season preview of the Pittsburgh Pirates. It might be a short one, but we still got to focus on what the Pirates' direction is in their serious rebuild. So thank you for listening. As always, make sure to check out the link in the bio of this episode for any previous season previews that you missed before I switch over to the Did You Hear podcast feed. Make sure to tune in tomorrow for the Pittsburgh Pirates preview. And opening day is coming up, folks. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back tomorrow.